Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise your name on this day. Indeed, it is yours that is the victory. Nothing in this world will ever keep you from glorifying yourself. It is who you are. It, it is the very calling of God. The, the very essence and substance of who you are calls for your own glory to always be lifted up. And so even on this day, God, with all the things going on in this world, with all the challenges we might have in our individual lives, we can know with great assurance that indeed you are being glorified. And then you give us the privilege of participating in your glory. That we would be created by you, that we could give you praise. And that the choices we make in this world can bring glory to you. And even as we bow our heads, we can be, we can be aware that there are things, even from this past week, where we made choices that went against your glory. That were more about glorifying ourselves or, or bringing down others. Or simply being out of step with your heart and your mind. Would you forgive us for those things? Would you let us know that in Jesus Christ those things have been paid for and that you have declared us righteous, that before you, for your own glory, you have forgiven us and freed us to live for you in this world. And this is a world we give back to you. We ask, God, that you would bring healing, healing across our community, that you'd bring healing across our nation. You'd be bringing healing across all nations. And God, we don't ask just in theory, but that you would, you would use us, that you would in, involve us in the work of bringing healing to the nations. That we would stand for justice. That we would seek peace. That we would demonstrate compassion. That we were would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray especially for those that we know that are hurting today, those who are hurting physically or emotionally. God, those who are hurting financially. God, those who are hurting in their relationships. Would you bring your healing touch into each life. Reveal yourself for your own glory. We give you praise that you hear these words, that even now the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf in ways that we don't even know. That within the Trinity, within the Father, Son, and, and Spirit, that you, God, are aware of and bringing forth your goodness in this world. So we take these prayers and bring them together with the prayer that Jesus himself taught. Hear us as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, officially, according to the clock on the wall, we are already substantially behind. And uh, uh, I timed my sermon out this morning. Let's just say we will be behind um, going forward. So those who are working even on our last song might want to think, what do we, we'll sing it double time. Okay, so we'll sing quickly. Okay, a couple of things to acknowledge here up front. We are in this sermon series, which we have been re- is called a good and, uh, The Good and Beautiful God. And we're using the book by James Bryan Smith that goes by the same title, The Good and Beautiful God. And each week, we provide one of these bookmarks. And these bookmarks are to serve as a tool for the coming week. By the way, if you do not have a copy of the book and you would like one, just let us know. We'll work out a way to get you a copy of the book. Um, But it helps you to know which chapter to read, uh, where to uh, look for the study guides, all those kind of things. Um, I... It also brings out that there's a soul training exercise. So each of the chapters in, in uh, Smith's book has appendix to it that, that provides a, a soul training exercise. It's simply a way of creating space in our lives that we could enjoy the good and beautiful God. Creating space in our lives to enjoy the good and beautiful God. Uh, so would encourage you to take up those practices as well. Um, we also make sure that we summarize the chapter for you. So if you're the person that likes... Uh, you know, the, the cheat sheets, this is a cheat sheet right here. Um, and it tells us what the false narratives are, the little worms that get in our head and, and tell us lies. And, and instead, it also helps us with the true narrative, God's narrative and his insight to take that worm out and to fill it with God's truth uh, in our minds instead. Anyways, that tool is available. It should be in the handout that you received this morning. The other thing I wanted to acknowledge up front is I want to acknowledge that it's Halloween. Ooh, okay, we've done that. Now we're done, okay? We're good. Um, let's deal with our conversation for this morning. This past week, I was in conversation with somebody that I met through a project we need to get done at our house. We had a, a, a pinhole leak in one of our water pipes back in April and, um, and flooded out our basement, and, and so we... Uh, um, Met, or connected with our insurance agent, began to work with some contractors, and finally we got the insurance check uh, only, what, six months later or something like that. So right on time. Uh, and, but I was talking with this guy this past week, and um, he's going to do some work in our house, and it turns out that he and his son are going to Washington, D.C. this weekend. It seems that uh, this man and his wife, they do a thing with their children. When they reach a certain age, they get to pick a trip, and they go out on this trip. Well, they, they chose D.C., and they're going to look at all the museums um, that are there, the Smithsonian uh, museums. And if you've ever been there, you know that there's a lot to see. In fact, in the Smithsonian uh, National History of Na- National Museum of Natural History, it's they have 146 million objects in the museum. So, how many of the plaques do you think that young man is going to read? What's the over-under number? Like, if you, had to, if you had to place a bet on that, what's the over-under number of how many that he's actually going to read? 
how many would you read? How many would you read? What if I told you that on 10 of the plaques in the museum, that on 10 of them are listed the Powerball numbers for next week? Would it change how many you read? Would you go in and start just reading like crazy? Not this one. Over here, run over here. I th- what if I told you it wasn't as crass as uh, Powerball numbers? What if I were to share with you that the key insight to a prosperous life, to a good life, in fact, a purposeful life, a life of, of healing and wonder and love, that the key to it was printed on 10 different signs. Would you seek them out? Do you know that in the Bible that there are 31,102 Bible verses, somewhat fewer than 146 million? And every now and then in the Bible, we actually come across a single verse that is crammed with this good news. In fact, the whole of the story of the Bible, the whole of the story of what God's doing in creation gets crammed into a single verse. There's, there's a number of them in Scripture, and we happen to have one of those for us this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. And at the end of chapter 5, let me just set the verse up a little bit, that at the end of chapter 5, what we find is Paul is talking about his ministry of reconciliation. And we know what reconciliation is, right? That, that if people are out of sync, if, they're, uh, um, if there's some kind of break in, in a relationship, to reconcile is to bring people back together, is to, to um, find forgiveness, to find a, a new way forward that, that is full of wholeness and um, uh, community and fellowship. And so Paul's explaining his ministry of reconciliation, bringing people into alignment with God. And there's this encouragement that it's not only his, recon- his ministry of reconciliation, but it really is all of ours, that we're ambassadors for Christ. Paul makes his argument, and then there's a capstone verse, a verse at the very end, the last verse in this section, where he seems to use some kind of a creedal statement. Like this is a statement that preexisted Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. That the early church was already using this statement and Paul simply borrowed it as a capstone, as the final word in this section. With that in mind, let's go ahead and receive the word of God this morning. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Hear the word of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's hear that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm actually going to ask you, would you say it with me? Let's say it together. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What we have before us this morning is a good old-fashioned three-point sermon. You ready? Let's dive into the first point. For our sake. For our sake. Do you guys know the word penultimate? All right, so there's this word penultimate. And, and the first time I ever heard the word penultimate, I was actually in grad school. And I had not heard it before. In fact, I was in a class at 
Fuller Seminary being taught by Dan Fuller, the son of Charles Fuller, who had founded the seminary. So Dan Fuller, uh, Professor Fuller, was teaching us. He started, okay, you guys know what the word penultimate meant. And, and, and we must have been a group of people not exposed to a lot of words because <laughs> none of us knew. Uh, was it like, it's, is it the best pen in the world? You know, we, we, we didn't know. And, and so it actually is a word that is based on two Latin roots, penne and ultimus. Penne means almost. Ultimus means last or final um, or furtherest. That it's this idea of the, the last thing. So it's the almost last, the almost final, the almost furtherest. It's the next to the best thing. What we have in for our sake is actually the next to the best thing. We have to be able to read for our sake in context of what the Bible teaches elsewhere. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, because the Bible clearly says that God loves us. You know the verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or how about the one that goes, that it's not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a payment, an offsetting for our sins. God clearly loves us, but it turns out that his love for us, for our sake, is penultimate. If you have your Bibles and you want to switch over, go over and take a look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. There's a set of verses there. In fact, in three different verses, remember we've talked about this before, when you have something repeated three times in a short amount of space, you better pay attention to it. And so in verse 6, 12, and 14, we find this particular statement. We'll actually begin in verse 5 just to set up verse 6. He predestined us. God predestined us. The sovereign God who can work providentially in this world. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And now here it is. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glorious grace, the, the outworking of God's grace in this world, that, that God encompassing his grace, to God be the grace, to his glory, to his glory. The ultimate purpose for all things is to the very glory of God. Listen, in this book, we have one primary character. In the Bible, there's just one primary character. There is one main protagonist. The whole of the book, that the main character is God himself, and that it's a story of God glorifying himself in and through creation, and God, simply by definition, would seek to glorify himself. It is the best thing we could ever hope for. It just turns out that in his self-glorification, he catches us up with it. It's a, 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 a gift that he gives us. God's self-sacrificing is for your sake, that you would be caught up in his self-glorification. What does this do for us? 
You see, it gives us direction. It's so easy, especially in a culture like ours, that if we hear for our sake, we do a hard stop after that. Of course it's for me. Everything should be me. For your sake, for his glory. So that when we go to work, we can go, listen, God sends me to work. He equips me to work, but it's not just for my sake. It's for his glory. When we go to school, we can say God has, has created me and I can learn and I can grow, but it's not just for my sake. It's for his sake. We can build friendships and we can enjoy them, but we can understand it's not just for my sake. It's for his sake, for his glory. And why it's important for us to understand this before we get into the rest of the verse is because we will describe the most amazing, most significant act in all of history. And for us to understand, yes, it is for our sake, but that is penultimate at best, because the best thing is that it is for God's glory. So the second point is this. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Have you ever seen a cutaway engine? As a kid, I had a model of, a, of an engine that, that was all plastic and it was see-through plastic and you could see the pistons and the, and the connecting rods and the crankshaft and the valves and you could just see how it all worked and it was really awesome. And maybe you've seen, I, I think NASCAR uses this where they have a cutaway engine, you can see the side of it, you can look into it. Maybe a, a local manufacturer of large equipment has a cutaway engine that, that you could look into. What we have here in this statement, in this point number two, is a cutaway of the cross. We, we have here a, a looking into the mechanics of the cross. What happened there? How does it work? He made him to be sin who knew no sin. These ten words help us to understand what took place in the cross. And maybe it would help if we had a little bit of the backup story. The, the story that, that, that leads into this. If we back up and catch that foundational story. And if you're new to Christianity, this would be helpful for you. Or maybe you're helping someone else to understand the good news of the cross. And this might be helpful for them. In the Gospel of John, we find these words. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you hear that? You see, the early church leaders were struggling to find the words and to, to put together the connections. They knew that there was just one God, and yet God had revealed himself as God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they didn't have the, the language yet of Trinity. And so here in John's Gospel, we're being told of the pre-incarnate, the pre-coming to flesh of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh into this world. God came into this world in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully human, and what we find out is that this fully God and fully human is the perfect human. That this, this fully human individual is, is without blemish or sin. 
Again, if we, if we put up a, a, a few uh, verses or we just draw our attention to a few verses, we find this out. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John 3.5 You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there are no sin, is no sin. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, fully God, fully human, the, the human without sin, unaffected by the fall, tempted in every way, and yet without blemish. He had to be perfect. In order for him to be the substitute for us in our death, he had to be perfect. You know, back when I was in school, we would consider the perfect substitute teacher as one who did not pursue his or her agenda in the class, did not pursue our teacher's agenda in the class, but showed films. That, that was the perfect substitute for a school situation. The perfect substitute for humanity would be the fully God, fully human, without sin, Jesus Christ. You may have heard it before that in the Old Testament, there, God had set up in the instructions for his people that there was this time once a year where the high priest would put his hand on, on a goat and, and there would be a, a transference of, of the sin. There was this, the, uh, the sin of the people would be laid upon the goat and the goat would go out into the desert. And there's this very symbolic act that the goat would take the sin away. It was this picture that people could see that, that God is, is, is allowing a way for this to happen. But for it to be effective for all of us, it had to not be just a symbol, but the real thing. And so the goat, the greatest of all time, the goat, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, isn't just a symbol dying on a cross, but he takes our sin. He takes the punishment for our sin. He takes the consequence of our sin and he dies. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. If you, hear, if you look at the words, he made. And here we see that it's God's providential hand at work in Jesus coming to the cross. That's not to take away the culpability of humans. In some ways, we could say that all of us participate in, in Jesus' going to the cross. That's not to take away anybody's culpability. But in God's infinite sovereignty, he made this to happen. We refer to this with a theological term, substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That Jesus, because he's fully God and fully human, that he can stand in our place. These are the words that we find in Scripture, Isaiah 53, 6. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
on him, in his, for us. Jesus, the substitute, substitutionary atonement for us. What if someone, what if someone came and took all of your debt away? Like all of your student loans, your mortgage, anything you might owe on a car. What if someone came and paid off all of your credit card bills? Do you know how freeing that would feel? And quite possibly it could be that people in this room have no debt, that, that there's no financial debt. But can you imagine, like, if you were facing a prognosis because of a disease, and someone could come along and take that disease away, that, that cancer away, and just remove it from you, any worry, any, any underlying health condition could remove it from you. Do you know how freeing that would be? Or may, maybe you're imprisoned by anger and, and you find that you just keep returning to this angry state no matter what happens in life. Wouldn't it be great if someone could come and just take that anger away for free you? What if it wasn't anger? It was worry or anxiety or insecurity or despair or loneliness. What if someone could take that away and remove it and, and just set you free? Well, what Jesus does is he comes into this world and because he was the perfect substitute for us, he takes away the one thing that meant death for all of humanity. He took sin away, the power of sin. He caused it to be that we could be forgiven in God's presence. Notice that God's solution is through self-sacrificing. He doesn't give humanity detention. He doesn't go, you know what, you're going to be in detention. You're going to have this long period of time. You're going to have to work it out for yourself. He doesn't send us to some place called purgatory, as if we, if we spent enough time, we could work things out. He doesn't give us lines to write. There's nothing we could do to pay the penalty for ourselves. He doesn't take TV away or a phone away. He doesn't ground us. Instead, he stands in the place for us. Jesus took our sin, became a curse, and God placed on him the punishment for our sin. It's the only way it could be done for our sake and for his glory. So it brings us to point number three, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think I may have mentioned it before, but uh, one of our sons, when we were in Omaha, Nebraska, went to this uh, uh, fancy pants high school, this really posh high school, Brownell Talbot. Except I, by law, I'm required to say Brownell Talbot. Um, it's one of those schools, right? So he was very privileged to be able to go to this. We were very thankful for the amazing opportunity that he had. There was only 25 students in his class, which meant that when it came to the annual fundraiser, that some couple would own the responsibility of personally communicating with each family. And so we got our card in the mail. And we heard about it later on through a uh, story that got back to us, that the couple was thinking, how do we address a minister. The, the church we had was this tall steeple church. And we were right across the street from the school. Everybody knew of the church. And, and I was the minister over there. And so we got this card in the mail. His Excellency and Mrs. Robert Jordan. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was my reaction. That was our reaction. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He ascribed to me a hoity-toity status that was completely off target. Now, I get it. By the way, what a nice thing to do. We know that in some experiences of Christianity that, that there are certain uh, um, 
stages in clergy that, that people are referred to in this way. But we know, we know that that's just not me. We could be tempted that when we hear that we would be the righteousness of God, that we might have the same response. That couldn't be me. That couldn't be me. How could I be the righteousness of God? You don't know what goes on inside of me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I treat people. The story that goes through my mind, how could I be the righteousness of God? But for God, it's not a mistake. God declares that through the death of Jesus Christ, that you become the righteousness of God. There is no mistake. From God's perspective, it is how he sees you through the lens of Jesus' death on the cross that you are righteous. Since it is Reformation Sunday, we probably ought to quote John Calvin. In his commentary on this verse, he says, God's, um, that God worked this, Christ's condemnation was our absolution. Christ's condemnation was your absolution. The word that's often thrown around is that Jesus' righteousness, the very rightness of him, the, the right standing before God, the full infinite rightness of Jesus Christ, the eternal rightness of Jesus Christ was imputed unto those who believe in him. It was credited to them. It was ascribed to them. Now, there's a phrase that we've used before in this room, the phrase already and not yet. And it turns out there's, there's an already and not yet when it comes to you being the righteousness of God. There is the already. We find it even in our, our little verse so that in him, in him, in Jesus, Paul uses these two words, en Cristo, in a way to communicate something theologically, in Jesus Christ that you are already the righteousness of God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to accomplish it. It is a done deal. God sees you that way. You have been freed. Your debts are canceled. And yet we also know that there's a not yet in him. In him, we receive the Holy Spirit. In him, the Holy Spirit is for us. And because the Holy Spirit is for us, the Holy Spirit, and here's another churchy word, is working to sanctify us, to make us more holy, to help us live into the righteousness that is already ours in Christ. A little plaque at the end of chapter 5 of the book of 2 Corinthians. For your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good and beautiful God who created all things. He chose to take your place, to take my place, and to take on your sin, to take on my sin. And in one verse, the truth is told to us. You are made free 
For your benefit, yes. For God's glory, absolutely. Worthy of his self-sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have indeed accomplished something that we could never accomplish on our own. God, it might be that we may have heard this before, but maybe even today this became clear to us. In whatever stage of life we're in, we just simply need to say right now, God, I acknowledge the, the great and amazing gift you did for me in Jesus Christ, and I turn my life over to you. In Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want your righteousness to define me. Maybe we have said yes to this some time ago and we find that on this day we have, that maybe we've just kind of been trickling away, that we have not given it much thought. And maybe on this day we have that conviction and, and we want to recommit ourselves to say yes to Jesus Christ and to live out the righteousness that he already has given to us. And maybe it is that there's somebody that we know we need to share this good news with, that we need to share this verse with them this week. And so even today, we ask God, would you give that conviction in our heart and that you, would you hold us accountable to share this good news of Jesus Christ with somebody in our sphere of influence this week? We give you praise, God. You are the good and beautiful God, the God who saves through Jesus Christ. All glory be to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together.